0: The reason we can come in here and not just have a nice meeting, but expect something to happen in our lives, is all because of the cross. It begins with the cross, and it ends with the cross. There's more after the cross, but we can never forget the cross. And that's what Paul said. I don't want anybody to come away with any impression of me. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my preaching Listen to this, we're not with persuasion of words of human wisdom, but in the demonstration of the power and of the Spirit. Romans 1.16 says, Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And I just felt led to share those two verses with you because this word, this gospel, is the power of God for salvation. Salvation doesn't just mean not going to hell and getting into heaven. It word, means wholeness. It means God's complete changing your life. Bringing you into conformity with who Christ is. That's God's will for your life. And the process is by receiving the word and then of course acting on the word. But I'm reading this to you and sharing with you because what we're going to hear tonight has the potential from God's side of completely changing your life. God does not want to leave you where you are. Unless you're satisfied with where you are, God doesn't want to leave you where you are. And this, this material that we're learning about renewing the mind is, is a process that God has ordained from His Word because the Bible says that we're changed or we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And we saw in the beginning as a study that when we went through scriptures and we didn't go through by any, any means all of them we could have gone through of what God has done for us when we came to Christ. Just read through the first chapter of Ephesians if you just want to get a sampling of it. Of what, and read through it slowly and do it out loud so that you can hear your own voice. In fact, I would challenge you to just read through that first chapter out loud once a day when it's quiet around you, wherever that is. Get up in the morning with a cup of coffee or before you go. Read, just slowly go through that and chew on it and watch what that, those scriptures will begin, because that's what God has already put in you and done for you when you came to Christ. And then we looked and saw the reality is, although that's what the Word of God says He's done in us, in most of our cases, and perhaps all of our cases, we're not experiencing all of that. And so we began to look at why, and we saw the Bible says that we're changed or transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that word transformed literally means in the Greek to take what's on the inside, which is what God deposited, and work it to the outside so that you're experiencing in your life and it's only when you're experiencing in your life that it can begin to affect the lives of other people. So this is the power of God to do that. The power of God to do that. So we've been talking about renewing your mind and we're not going to go back over the material that we've covered so far, but we did begin to talk about the last several times, and of course last week Lafayette Scales was here, so there's been a a break in between. We began to talk about what it means to renew your mind, and we talked about what that process basically means is learning to think in different terms, and in terms of renewing your mind from, from God's perspective, it's learning to think what God thinks about a situation. And I took you through several exercises to, as an example of that. Or we're not going to go back through that. You can you can get the CDs and look at that again. But what we began to talk about now is we're going to we're we're working our way up towards the towards the tools we're going to give you. But we began to talk about certain keys for under for certain keys to understand so that you can renew your mind. See, one of the ways I tend to think is a lot of times teachers will tell you, well, this is what you need to do, and that's fine, but they don't give us an understanding of what it is or how to do it. And that's kind of the way my mind works. What is it? How do I do it? So, so we lay a foundation for it before we get to it, and that's still what we're really doing. And so we began to look at some of these keys, principles, It's really all they are. that that will help you in the process of applying these tools to your life. And the first thing we saw was that you had to decide that the Word of God is the authority in your life. It can't be one of several authorities. It has to be the authority in your life. And and one of the reasons, there's a number of reasons why that's important, but for what we're learning, the reason why that's so important is we're going to use the Word of God to renew our minds. Remember the teaching we had about thoughts... ...imaginations and strongholds, how your mind works. What's controlling you right now are strongholds... ...that over the years have been built into your mind... ...and you react to those strongholds without consciously thinking about it. And what we're going to learn to do... ...is how to replace those bad strongholds and old strongholds... ...with new strongholds that are based on the Word of God. And the reason we spend all the time going through how that works... ...is because we learned that the strongholds made up of images... We learned that images are important to understand because images are what influence you. Your emotions come from images that you have. Our mind works in terms of images. And and those images, we have to understand, only exist on our mind. And that's going to be very important for us. But then we learned that those images are made up of a series of thoughts that are connected together with our mind to form an image. And it's kind of like the dots in a picture that form an image, but it's made up of a series of dots. So the process we're going to learn is the way you replace the stronghold is replaced by establishing new images. The way you establish new images is by sewing new thoughts or new dots in your mind to create the new one. So we're going to deal with it at the thought level. Alright, so these keys or these principles are for, to help us in that process of doing it. Now, the reason this first one's so important is we're going to use thoughts that are based on the Word of God to paint new pictures in our mind. And if the Word of God does not have authority in your life, then it's going to be a much slower process because if the Word is an authority in your life and you have an old stronghold that, hey, I'm never going to amount to anything, I always fail, and you begin to get new thoughts put into your mind based on what God says, and you see this Word as an authority in your life, those words are going to have a greater weight in your mind than if you're very casual about the Word of God. So we looked at that principle. Then the second principle, which is what we were kind of in the middle of, which is key for doing this, is in order to renew your mind, you've got to get a hold of it. You've got to get control of it. And I, we ended with the story of our dog, Mandy, because when we first got saved and I began to discover that, that I was responsible, according to the Word of God, to being the head of our family and to be the leader. And I went to God and said, All right, Father, you know, what do I got to do? And He said, You've got to start with a dog. Uh, I said, Start with the dog. he says, yes, because the dog 's the least one in your family, and when the dog 's out of control you don 't stand a chance of getting anything else in order. How can you be establishing order in your family, biblical order in your family when the dog 's out of control you can 't even let it out of the house because out of fear the dog 's going to run away and you won 't get it back and So, I told you the story of taking Mandy to obedience school, and we 're not going to go through all that again bringing Mandy to obedience school, and I discovered that obedience school wasn't for Mandy, it was for me. And that in this obedience class, and I was told by the instructor it's not at all uncommon, uh, I was one of only a few males there. It was primarily mothers who, with large dogs that were out of control, and the owner said typically what happens is a, a, the family will buy a pet, a dog that either grows up or they buy a large dog and discover they can't control Fido. So on Saturday, dad sends mom to obedience school with Fido with instructions to teach Fido how to obey me. Of course, me's not there. It's mom that he learns how to obey. And, and, which is, again, a perfect picture. Where these were men that were not taking the responsibility in their home to be the leader. And the, what I, the lesson I learned out of that is a process of learning what it takes in order to, cha- in order to bring discipline and order I had to learn to do for this dog. And so there were certain basic principles that I had to learn, but the key was I had to practice those every day. The The, the instructions were you've got to go through these exercises with her twice a day. So I'd get up in the morning before I wanted to get up, and on cold days, tag, Mandy and I would go outside in this cold weather, and we would go through these paces. But by the time we finished that 6 weeks course I told you at the end last week, I could take Mandy outside, tell her to sit, and there's a cat, Daffy, across the street that would come and just walk around Mandy. And Mandy would sit there until I either released her or didn't release her. And I wouldn't tell you whether I released her or not. But my point is she was now so, in six weeks, she was so well disciplined that she, I could take her outside because I knew she would respond to my words. The result is she had greater freedom. We would have to keep her a prisoner in the house. We could take her outside. I could even let her go out in the yard because if I called her, I knew she was going to come back. And so that's also true in our lives, you know. When God knows that we'll do what He says, He can give us greater freedom in some areas. Some of you are like, why hasn't this happened in my life? Well, maybe God knows that if He brought you into this situation that you would have difficulty controlling yourself and therefore God would be in danger of losing His fellowship with you. And God would rather have you than the freedom that He wants you to have. But if we'll learn to do what He says, if we'll learn to just trust His Word and do what He says, He'll give you tremendous freedom. Tremendous because He knows... It's not going to hurt you or it's not going to harm you. So that's what we are learning last week. Now, there's some other principles here because this is, of all these principles, I think this is the most, perhaps the most important one to understand because it's, it's, it's the one that unless you understand this, above all, you're going to struggle because most of us, if we're told to get control of our mind, we're going to say, I'm not sure I can do that. And so that's why we're going through some of these principles. All right, now... So you, the point here with Mandy is you can get control of it no matter how far out of control. And I, it is. And I told you the one part of this process of, of, of getting, uh, taking Mandy to obedience school is that uh, one of the first things this instructor said is, I can train any dog to obey me. And I'm saying, you haven't met my father-in-law's dog. This dog, when my, my wife is the oldest of two girls and they were about a year apart... And, and two years apart and they got married one year after each other so my, my father-in-law's household went from having two girls at home to an empty nest in two years and, and he decided that he needed something else so he bought a dog Peppy, which was a full-size poodle and Pepe became the most spoiled animal I've ever seen because he just this was a replacement for his daughters and so Pepe ran the house Whatever Peppy wanted to do, Peppy got to do. And and Peppy by this time was, I don't know, eight or nine years old. And you know the old adage you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's what see, this is another example of renewing your mind, because I just swallowed that because that's what you've always heard. You know, kind of over in the world's way of thinking things. So it means there's nothing you can do about it. So, you know, once you're past a certain age, forget it trying to control your mind, you know, because you've been doing this for too long. And that's why I'm spending time going over this, because that's not true. And so, so I went to him and I said, he, he said, so at the break I went and said, well, you, you haven't met my father-in-law's dog. I mean, this dog is spoiled rotten. And he said, I don't care. He said, I can train any dog. An older dog takes longer, but it can be done. So in the same way, an older mind may take longer, but it can be done. And if you don't begin to do it, it's never going to happen. All right, so let's look some more of this. We're still talking about getting control of your mind. So the next thing under this, first thing to understand is it is possible to get control of your mind because if you don't believe that, you're only going to give a half-hearted try. Second thing about this is it is, and this is a word, <laughs> I don't like this word, but it's, but it's, a, it's a biblical word. It takes discipline. God works with different people different ways and one of the ways he works with me is is a a particular word will just suddenly seem to have meaning to me it just kind of I've noticed it more on a page and it's a word that kind of rolls around inside of me and a few months ago was the word understanding and it was I know what God was showing me is how important it is for me to be able to help give you and even myself understanding of what God says and saying because when we have understanding we can apply it well, the next word that began to roll around on me is, is this word, discipline. And it's, but it's a biblical word because the word disciple is based on it. It's not a dirty word. It's, there's freedom in discipline. Just like there was freedom for Mandy in, in discipline. The only part of us that doesn't like discipline is our flesh. And that's the part that needs to be disciplined. The word discipline means To train and to train means to make it do something it doesn't want to do on its own to make it do something because you tell it to do it not do what it tells you to do as we've talked about before a good example of training is when you go into the military they don't just give you a rifle and send you out in the field because you're dangerous they make you go to a place called I don't know if it's still called that boot camp or basic training Basic, basic teaching it's basic training Because they want you to understand that the world's just changed for you. No longer can you get up when you want to get up. No longer can you wear your hair the way you want to wear your hair. No longer can you eat what you want to eat. No longer can do... In fact, you don't really belong to yourself anymore. And you go through this process of shock and realize that... And different people respond to that differently. But you all come out the end knowing you've got to do what the drill sergeant tells you to do... And there's freedom in that because now they can trust you out in the field. In the same way, God will discipline us if we will allow Him. And if you will not allow Him to discipline you, then there are places He cannot send you and situations He cannot put you into that He wants to because He knows you're not trained enough to handle it and the situation will hurt you instead of you doing His will in that situation. So discipline is a matter of learning to basically get what you want under control of the one who's directing you. All right. So it, here's another dirty word. It takes work. There's no shortcut to this. But then there was no shortcut to getting where you are. That didn't happen overnight. You didn't get where you are in the state of your mind because you, you, you ate a piece of chocolate you shouldn't eat, or you watched a show you shouldn't have watched. It's a period of time of not controlling your mind. And if you don't, if you don't control it, it will control you. One of you is going to win. And this process is a constant process. You'll, you'll never completely master it, at least I don't think so. But what will happen is you'll make progress. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, Here's a good example because it can come down to little things. I used to and still from time to time have this challenge and I'm sure I'm maybe the only one in here that does. I'll get up early in the morning, get my cup of coffee and open my Bible and I'll sit down and read my Bible and I'll read, let's say, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual man, people but as carnal and what is it I got to do today? Let's see. Oh, yeah, I need to call so-and-so. I better go write that down so I don't forget. And then my mind comes back over here. Or I've gone down through 12 verses and I don't remember anything I just read. Am I the only one who's ever done that? I used to notice an amazing thing when I was practicing law because I had to be there early for things. I would sometimes get up, at, usually get up at 5 in the morning. And, and when I first started doing that, um, my, my body would scream at me First of all, tell me you're going to die. <laughs> but you know what? I'm still here. And then if that if that didn't work, it would tell me, well, you're going to waste your time because you're half asleep. You're not going to get anything out of this anyway. You might as well get another hour's sleep. Isn't it interesting? When I got up, sat there. Now my mind that was my body was telling me was going to fall asleep, is so alert. It's thinking of everything I'm going to need to do all day. Suddenly my mind is on bright alert on everything except this. Here's the key. Your flesh lies to you. Your flesh will lie to you. It's like a spoiled child trying to get its way. When you make, start to make it do something it doesn't want to do, it'll give you whatever reason it thinks it can convince you of giving in to. And so, so, one of the things I had to learn to do, and, and uh, uh, as I'm preparing for tonight, I realize I've got to come back to this because I've been struggling with this again, is to make my mind come back. So here's one way to do it. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as carnal babes in Christ, I found. I, my brethren, could. And what I would determine is I'm not going past that verse. I'm not going past that verse until I've read it and understand what it says. That's telling my mind, if I've got to sit here for the next hour and go over that verse, because your mind doesn't like to do that. A mind that's not disciplined doesn't like to stay focused on anything. In fact, one of the signs of immaturity in a, in a, in a, in a, of a child, of childishness, the child that needs to grow up, is they have trouble focusing. They can't keep their mind on the same thing for very long. So, you, especially something that they don't want to do. So you send them to their room to clean their room, and you go in a half an hour later to check, and their plane was something that they found in the corner when they were cleaning it up. <laughs> they're not purposely being disobedient. They got easily distracted from what you told them to do because they really didn't want to do that. And that's the process of your mind. So what you've got to do is take charge of that and set some ground rules which is that we are going to read, talk, and I would talk to myself, no, we're going to stay here till we've read this verse and it's going to sink in. It doesn't mean you've got to master it, but I'm going to at least read it and it's going to get in me. And when you start determining to do that, your mind will fall in line with it. Your mind will fall in line with it. You have to get tough with your mind. We're talking about getting it under control. You have to get tough with your mind because otherwise your mind, if you really can see it like Mandy, like a dog that's out of control, or an animal that's out of control, or or a spoiled child that's out of control. And then you've just got to... Now, of course, if you've never gotten your children under control, it's going to be hard to get your mind under control. But you've got to start somewhere with something. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, to me, some of the most chilling... Chilling is not the right word. Some of the most... Difficult verses for me is Paul says said, that I keep my body under. Actually, he says I buffet my body. And that word in the Greek actually refers to a, a leather mitten that a boxer would put on that had little pieces of, of metal or rock embedded in it. And what the, what the boxer would do is in order to train, punch himself in the face. Because what he was trying to do is toughen his skin up and his muscles up because the, one of the worst things that can happen to a boxer, he can be strong, but if those punches of his adversary are causing his face to swell up, his eyes will begin to close, and now he can't see. And if he can't see, he can have, be the best boxer in the world, and he's not going to be able to hit his opponent. So in order to toughen themselves so that their opponent couldn't cause their eyes to swell, they would literally do that to themselves to toughen their own skin up. That's what that word means, buffet. It, it, it means, it doesn't mean buffet. It means to purposely put yourself under discipline. And he said, lest after having preached to others, I myself should be the word, in King James says, a castaway. It means to be disqualified. What it means is to not pass the test, to not measure up. And so, so Paul says, I had to keep myself under discipline, so that I didn't lose control of myself. And so that's what this is all about. So you have to get tough with yourself. And you can't let your feelings govern you. All right, now, this is only going to happen because you decide to do this at all costs. And let me give an example of that. And this is a matter of developing what I call internal discipline, where you tell yourself something or internal integrity where you tell yourself the truth. So when you tell yourself, this is what I'm going to do, you hold yourself as accountable as somebody else would if you told them what you were going to do. Because we lie to ourselves a lot. We make vows and commitments to ourselves. We break all the time. And the problem is, every time you do that, you lower your own value of your own word to yourself. Because there's one person that always hears what you say, aside from God, and that's you. And you watch whether you do what you say. So when you've made a commitment to do something and then you start making excuses, down inside you know that. And so you stop trusting yourself. Now we do that with other people, but we can do that. We do that with ourselves more than anything else, more than anyone else. But you can gain it back. You can learn to trust yourself. But it really starts by drawing a line in the sand and saying, from this point on, I'm going to be honest with myself. Therefore, I'm not going to make a commitment if I don't fully intend to deal with it. So with what we're talking about, this works if you, only if you really make a commitment. I'm going to get my mind under control at all costs. And here's an example of that, of what I had to do to do that. And I'd love to tell you I've mastered this, but I haven't. I'm get, you know, I get there and then you get distracted and you slip back. See, what I said you in the beginning, this is a process. It's a lifelong process. And it's like anything else. You'll have times when you're making great progress and then pressures of life will come in on you. And under the pressures of life, we tend to slip back into the old habits. And then you realize, oh my goodness, I've, I've let go of control again. Don't condemn yourself. I'll talk more about that later. Just pick up and go back at it again. And again, we'll talk about that later. So, so you've got to make your... The point is this. You've got to decide to make your mind serve you. Remember, your mind is a tool. Remember, we went through this chart of how your mind fits into you. That your mind is a tool to help you carry out the, the leading of the Spirit of God. The, the, in this, the Word of God is also one of those leadings. So, your mind is a tool that God, it's like the engine of your car. That engine's not your car, but the engine's there to enable you to take your car to church or to home or wherever else you want to go. So when you go to, came to church tonight, if you drove in a car, you got in your car and you decided it was your will that was carried out. We're going to go to church, and I'm going to. This car is going to be a device to get us to church. The engine was a very important component of being able to carry that out. But the reason that engine got you here is because that engine's under the control of the of the of the electronic components of your car, so that when you turned that key. Or push that button, that engine responded out of obedience. And all the power of that engine was there to serve you to get that car here so that you could get here. Your mind is like that engine, it's a tool. But in so many of our cases, it's running all the time. It's out of control and we're, and we're sitting in the, in the driver's seat with our hands off the wheel and just letting it go at full speed and wonder why it's crashing into this, it's running out of gas, it's doing all this and we're just sitting there letting it go thinking this is the way it has to be. But if you did that with a car, you'd say, my goodness, that, person's, that person needs to get their thinking straight. Of course you're running into things. You're driving that car without any hands on the wheel to control and to direct it. Well, your mind is just like that engine and just like that car. It's given to you to help get your body certain places and to accomplish certain things. All right. So you've got to decide. You've got to get it. Your, it's your choice that you've got to exercise it. Your mind is made to serve you. And listen to this. Your mind will only get away with whatever you let it get away with. We can't use the excuses we've used. Well, that's just the way I am. That's just the way you are now. But because you've come to Christ and you've got the Word of God in you and the Spirit of God in you, you're not supposed to stay the way you are. Well, that's just what, you know, that's just what we Italians are like or we Portuguese are like or, you know, whatever. That's just what we're like. That's an excuse. You understand that you're no longer Italian or Portuguese? The Bible says you're just, there's one in Christ. In God's eyes, you're either in Christ or you're not in Christ. And so, yes, I know that your body has those genes in them, but you're not to be controlled by your body. These are all excuses that really, in the world system, are excuses for staying where we are. So, your mind will only get away with what you let it get away with. Nobody else can let your mind get away with it because God gave you something called your will. That's ultimately what makes you like God. What makes Him God more than anything else is that He has a will that gets carried out. And He made you in His image and gave you a will that He won't violate. If God can't make you do something, why do we think someone else can I want to say that again, because tucked in the back of our mind are all these things that we were raised to think in the world, well, that's just the way I am, this is the way we can't, you know, we'll never, things can't ever change, whatever those things, or, you know, the the favorite one people say, "Well, well, they just push my buttons. I don't have any buttons, and neither do you. People may do something to you. We went back, remember a few weeks ago we talked about it's not what happens to you, it's what you choose to think about what happens to you. Because it's your will that's involved with how that thing affects you. There are stories of people that were in the concentration camps in World War II that didn't react the way everybody else did, that didn't fall apart that didn't lose their joy. Yes, they went through the same trials, but it didn't change them on the inside. It just affected things on the outside. Because they realized they can torture me, they can take food away from me, they can take my name away from me, that they can't make me decide how I'm going to react to what they do. They can't take my will away from me. And if they can't take your will away in a concentration camp, how more in whatever you and I are dealing with. If God can't make you change your mind, why do we think someone else can? Nobody can. And so unless we understand that, we think we're subject to the whims and wiles and things of life and of other people's, you know, people getting mad at us, and we're thinking we're subject to that. And I know it has an influence on us, but that's because of the strongholds we're going to learn to change. All right. Now let me give an example of this. It's an old example, but it just—it's still real to me every time I think of it. Years ago, when I was in a when I was um, uh, in a different ministry, uh, I traveled a lot, or we traveled a lot, and we did Bible studies in different parts of New England. And there were times we get home at one in the morning, and we were living in, in a very rural area on, on about. Was it was 20 acres of land and beautiful old farmhouse we were renting. And, uh, but it was old. And, and, and um, we'd come home at night, and, 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 uh, and I had, what I had to do was I had to write the mileage down in order, when I did my taxes, to be able to do whatever I was supposed to do with it. And I had to write it down in a little book every time I'd driven to write, write that down. And I was not disciplined about that. So I'd come to the end of the week or so. Oh, where did we go? My goodness! When I go back and try to backtrack and figure it out, and that's about the time I was preparing this course. And, and excuse me, no, I was preparing another course like this. And so, um, and I realized I've, uh, the, the problem is it's a simple little thing, but I'm not disciplined myself enough to make myself write it down. So here's what I did: I drew, made a rule for myself. Which, which that from now on, if I don't write that mileage down when I get home, the very first time I remember it, I'm going to go out and write it down. Now, when you make a, draw a line with your mind, it will test you. It's just like a child. Your mind out of control this is exactly like a two-year-old that's not disciplined. reacts exactly the same way. I don't care how educated you are, how sophisticated you are. It's a spoiled brat. And it will try to control you if you don't control it. And I say that because once I made that decision, it was either that night or the next night. I think it was several nights later, because I think I was pretty good the first couple of nights. But we've been somewhere two hours away. And we got home... And we lived way out in the country at that time. We got home in a snowstorm. I mean a a snowstorm. And we pulled into the driveway, parked the car. We're tired. Anita was asleep, so we got to wake her up and get upstairs. We get upstairs, and, and we get into the nice warm bed. Now, the floor in that bedroom was linoleum. And it was about 10 degrees outside. I'm nice and cozy in that bed, just about to go to sleep. And I remember I didn't write down the miles. Well, I'll do it in the morning. Then I remembered the vow I made to myself. Now I've got a choice to make. And the problem is I'm making this choice under the warm covers with my pajamas on and it's really hard to go back and remember why I was so determined to do that when I made that vow or that, 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 that decision. But I've got a choice to make. And here's what I remembered. I remembered what was at stake with what I did right then. Because if I chose to violate my own rule, then I had just made a further step a step to be further undisciplined than I already was. I was taking a step backwards. There was something at stake in this choice. And every decision you make has something at stake. But we make so many of them and we're not aware or thinking through what the choice is in that decision, that we're ma- what the effect of that decision is. So I'm lying there thinking, you're either going to throw this whole thing out or you're going to do it. So I made myself uh, get out of the bed. And I looked at Anita. She was asleep and looked so warm and comfortable. And I put my bare feet on that cold floor. And I went over and I found some shoes and put them on. And I think I probably put some jeans on over my pajamas and I put a coat on. And I went outside and the f- snow was already above my boots, so it's in my boots. And I go over there and open. I'm mad. i open the door and I get in there. I don't have the keys. I've got to get back to the keys. You get the keys, turn it on. Because to read the mileage, get that stupid thing out, write that mileage down, put it back in there, turn the car off, close the door, come back in stairs, go upstairs, get back in the bed, and go to sleep. I never forgot to write the mileage down again. Now listen, it's It's important it doesn't take much to get your mind under control once you've determined to do it. The test is always going to come, as it is with a small child, is who's going to rule here. Every child needs to come to that realization that they're not in charge. It's one of the most important lessons a child has to learn in order to grow up and succeed in life, is they can't do everything they want to do. Because if they don't learn that in home, they're going to discover it out on the highway. They're going to discover it somewhere where the consequences of trying to do what they want to do are much more serious than they are at home. That's more obvious. But even within ourselves, when we let ourselves get away with things, there are consequences to that because the more you learn to let yourself get away with, the easier it is to move that line. That's why Paul says, I keep my body under. That's why Paul says, I do this lest having preached the gospel to others... I could end up disqualified. Why? Because he knew himself that if he didn't keep himself under control and he kept compromising and giving in and bending the rules and compromising, he would someday end up way over here giving into something he never intended to give into. See, people that get in trouble almost always never intended to do that. Just like Eve didn't intend to get evicted from the garden. Satan didn't come in and say, Hey, I got a great deal for you. You don't need to live here. Let's get kicked out. No, he promised her something more. And by simply not doing what God said, she began to move the other direction. And if you really want to see that process, it's in James chapter 1, when he talks about giving in to your desires. It doesn't mean desires are wrong, as long as you're in control of them, and they're not in control of you. Now, here's the point here. It didn't take three years to learn to do this. By getting myself out of bed, especially under those circumstances, and making myself do what I was screaming in my flesh to not do, I taught myself a lesson that I meant what I said. See, we have this idea that, you know, and I'll talk about that in a minute, that your, your, that your mind is who you are. Your mind's not who you are. Now, you're going to have failures, you're going to forget, you're going to miss, but there's a point when you think of it and you realize what's at stake. And that's the critical point of decision. And that, But my point here again, if you'll just hold yourself to that standard a few times, you'll gain control. It doesn't take much to gain. When we established, it, when I began to realize that I needed to establish some order in, in our family, you know, I, I went to God about how do I do this? And the Lord said to me, you don't need a bunch of rules. I don't know, like three or four rules, household rules. But I wrote them down, I posted them on the refrigerator so everybody could see them and I explained what they were and I explained the consequences of violating them. And they were simple rules. But if I could get everybody to obey those rules, then they'd put themselves under subjection to rules. And if they're subjection to one rule, they're able now to be under subjection to all the rules. So the whole reason I'm going through this is it's not that hard. You don't have to, you know, get everything under control in your life. Just get one thing under control. Just get one area of your life, and the mind is a good one to start with. All right. Okay, and your mind, just the same principles that I learned in dog obedience school, or my obedience school, is what it took to learn to get my mind under control. Next part of this, we're still talking about getting your mind in control, and I kind of already led into this. This is so important to understand. You are not your mind. You are not your mind. Here's why that's important. Because if you think you're your mind, you're the one that's supposed to be in charge. But if you see your mind as a tool, then you can have a will that's different than your mind's will. Again, your mind is like the engine in your car. It's there to serve you. It's there to help carry out what you decide, what needs to be done. There's a difference between your mind and your will. And we went over that in an earlier lesson. You've been given your mind with the responsibility and the authority to control what it thinks. The goal of getting your mind under control is to eventually have it captivated by the Word of God. That's possible because I'll show you in the Scriptures. You can have your mind so submitted to the Word of God that your first reaction is whatever the Word of God says. You don't need to think about it. The Word becomes a stronghold to the point that if something comes to you, a thought or an idea or an opportunity comes to you that's contrary to this Word, it's foreign to you. Remember I told you in the beginning that your mind is like a gate, it controls what gets in sound inside of you and what comes out, that if you hear something or see something that your mind doesn't agree with, it won't get inside. Well, that works to the positive, that when your mind is now renewed, when this word becomes a stronghold in your mind, then anything that's contrary to the word won't get in you. And that's the place we need to come to because as we are more and more living in a world that's hostile to us, more and more living in a world that doesn't believe what we believe and, and is going to, and is and, and sees our fundamental beliefs as as radical, as 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 wrong or as irrelevant. We're going to be challenged more and more by the things we used to look at as authority. They're going to challenge us more and more. And so this word has got to become more and more of a stronghold and established in our minds so we're not easily moved away from the things that we believe. There's so many things in Paul's writing to prepare for the last days so that we're not easily moved off of what we know the truth is. So you can know what the truth is and still be moved off of it because that truth is not as strong in your mind as the other influences in your life. So important what Lafayette said when he was here. Such a a graphic illustration. If all we do is come to church, and that's good, we should come to church. If all we do is come to church on on Sunday morning, and since you guys are here on Wednesday night, on Wednesday night, that's basically three hours, three and a half hours that God has, if that's all we do, of God to put things into us. Assuming as he said, we're here on time, and assuming we're fully attentive and not fighting trying to stay awake. I'm not looking at anybody. (laughs) There are what, 168 hours in a week? That means there's 165 of them that the world is putting things into us. and We wonder why we're barely treading water. And that's where we are now. Imagine if the water we're treading now becomes a tidal wave. Jesus walked on water. Whether it was calm or it was a tidal wave didn't affect him because his life was not based on what was going on around him. His mind was so, so full of the word of God. That word of God was such a part of him that whatever happened around him didn't move him. And we need to get closer to that place than we are now. So our goal for getting the mind under control is to have it captivated by the Word of God. Your mind will become enthralled with it. I remember when I was first saved. I couldn't put this book down. i come home from work. And I mean, I was working this large law firm in Boston. I would come home exhausted. You know, I'd been using my mind all day. I'd come home. You know, we had time with the kids, put them to bed. You know, time with my wife, she'd go to bed. And by the time she, they all go to bed, it's maybe 10 o'clock or something like that. And as much as I love them, at that point, I almost couldn't wait for everybody to go to bed because now I can sit with my Bible quietly. And I get reading it and reading it and devouring it, and devouring, it and devouring it and devouring it. And I look at my watch, oh my goodness, it's 1 o'clock. I've got to put this down. I've got to get some sleep. I've got a big meeting tomorrow. I got, and I have to pull myself away from it. That's when it has you captivated. What's happened to us? That we have to make ourselves read it. It's become a duty to read it. Somehow, this Bible, this word, is not as relevant in our life. And maybe it's because we let so many other things in. I did that because I didn't know anything. And this was Life! I was discovering a new, a new—not just a new world, a new realm of existence. It was alive. But you see, the author of this book lives in you. There are books I read sometimes, and I wish—I wish I could ask this author a question. I can, and I do. Lord, I don't know what this means, but you're in me. Show this what me means. Or I'll come, you know, like especially on Sundays. I'll say, Lord, I know what this says, but what do you want to say to us? What is it you want to say to us? I can put messages together, but what do you want to say to us? It's a living word. So the goal is to get your mind captivated of it. And the point where your mind starts working, then your mind starts working for you instead of against you. Because what happens, and you begin to do this, it's a process of slowly turning this thing around of what you've been doing your whole life and you begin to... And when you make the choice, I'm going to do this at all costs, is when you put your foot down and you turn around. When we were... When I was in uh, junior high school, I was part of a, a drill team. And, um, and we would go to Washington and compete in competitions. So we were... At, we were uh, um, and I remember being trained in this. And what they would do is they would, whenever they would do an exercise where you would change directions, you were trained to pe- plant your right foot and pivot on it and turn around and go the other direction. And that's what your will is like. You've been going this way and you know we kind of look to go. The, well, I know I need to be going that direction. I know I need to make changes. But we really aren't making changes. We're just looking in the other direction. What will happen when things will only begin to change when you say, I'm not going that way anymore. And you plant your foot And now you pivot. That's what repent means. And now you begin to go in the other direction. Now, as I showed you before, wherever it is you do that, that's the point you begin your progress. So you can't compare yourself to somebody else. And as you're going forward, you've got to begin, you you know, you may slip and you may fall back a little bit, but you've headed to go in that direction. What happens is, as you begin to move more in this direction and you begin to build up the right thoughts and build up the right images, what happens is you begin to pick up momentum. And you begin to pick up more and more momentum and you begin to grow faster and faster and faster. And I'll show you probably in the next lesson or so that it may have taken you 40 years to get where you are or 50 years to get where you are. It doesn't take 40 years or 50 years to undo it. That's the good news. Okay. It only took one night to change my thinking about writing my mileage down. Okay. Now, that's that principle getting control of your mind. The next principle, next key, and this is very important also, one of the most important things I've ever learned about study: What you pay attention to becomes larger in your mind. Whatever you're thinking about begins to grow in your mind. And here's why it's important. Because if you're always thinking about negative things, guess what grows in your mind? So if you're having trouble maybe perhaps with your weight and you just keep looking in the mirror and saying, Oh my goodness, what a fat slob you are. Nothing fits you anymore, and that's what you keep looking at and thinking about. Guess what happens? That image of you gets bigger, of you gets bigger, and bigger and bigger. The stronghold gets bigger, and it looks more and more overwhelming, and then you just finally say, forget it, I just give in. The more you think about something, the bigger that idea gets in your mind. That's really what meditation does, which we'll talk about a little later on. So what's important about that is don't spend time looking at what you're doing wrong. In fact, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Paul's here talking about a journey that he's on. The journey he talks about in verse ten is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship or the sharing of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. That means dying to his own his own pride, his own image of himself, his own his own personal will, and submitting it to Christ. If by any means I may attain from the resurrection of the dead, not that I've already attained it or I'm already perfected, but I press on. that that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself of having apprehended. In other words, Paul said, same thing we just talked about. I turned around at one point, and I've been on a journey. And I'm not there yet. Because what he's apprehended of me, what he's saved me for was to come to this place. I'm not there yet. As Paul said, he wasn't there yet. And so he says... Let me get it exactly right here. I don't count myself to have apprehended or achieved it. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, Paul had some things to forget. Go back to verse 6. He's talking about his credentials as a Jewish leader. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. And elsewhere, he goes into more detail. Said, I dragged them to jail to be executed. Paul had the memory of seeing who he now knew were brothers and sisters, that he was responsible for their execution, for their beatings, for their property being taken away from them. There must have been images in his mind that would come up at different times. He may have even had dreams. And Paul didn't focus on what his past was. Where was Paul's focused? But one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and reaching forward towards the things that are ahead, I press on towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God that's in Christ Jesus. Therefore, as many of you as are mature have this same mind And if in anything else you think elsewise, God will reveal it even unto you, nevertheless to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule and let us be of the same mind. Okay. So, this point is this. Understand that whatever you let your mind dwell on will gradually get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger in your mind. So you've got to ask yourself, do I want this thing to take more control of me or not? And if it's, you don't, then you've got to stop. You know, we, it's just what I was talking about when the bombing happened in Boston. We watched the news report we watch it, we watch it, we watch it, we watch it, same thing, over and over. And nowadays, it's not just one thing. They may have three different pictures running over and 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 over over again, over again. How many times have you seen the picture of those two guys, that first picture of them turning the corner? How many times have they shown that? only need to see it once. But the more you hear that, the more you look at that, the bigger this picture gets in your mind. So what we're going to learn is to turn that to our advantage because that works whether it's positive or negative. So it works just as much with positive things as it does with negative things. So when something bad happens, even if you mess up, I mean, what I used to do I used to I used to struggle so much in prayer. This is years ago, and I would get out there in the morning, and I would you know the one part we lived. I would go out in the morning, and walk for miles, just talking to God out loud. And I would always spend the first I don't know 15, 20 minutes or what, telling God all the things I did wrong the day before, and I was trying harder, and I didn't do you know I, I know the day before I really meant to change it, but I didn't quite get it done. You know I, all these things. Like, and by the time I finished telling him all the things I'd done wrong, I had no confidence to talk to him at all. And I just kinda of go through the motions and one time I was God got a hold of me in the middle of one of those things and I heard him say this to me. He says, Will you let me be God? And I knew immediately what he meant. I was being my own judge. Yes, we're to judge ourselves, but not beat ourselves. And what, because I didn't understand this principle, what I didn't realize is every time I went back over, every th- way I thought I was falling short, the image of me as somebody that was failing was getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And, bigger. and I began to get in the Word of God and to find out God doesn't tell us to do that. In fact, He tells us just the opposite. Hebrews 12 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. What I've begun to learn is that, especially when we're failing, is instead of tearing ourselves apart, it's one thing to look at ourselves and say, "Ah, yes, that was wrong." It's another thing to keep looking at, "Oh, that was wrong. How could I do such a stupid thing? Why would I do that?" Oh my! And you begin to build in your mind, say, "I don't know why anybody ever trusts me with anything." And by the time you're finished, God, there's no way God could love you. But God doesn't love you based on you. God loves you based on Him. And that's why praise, thanksgiving, praise, and worship are so important because what they, in essence, are is spending time thinking about who He is. You're in Philippians. Go over to chapter 4. Finally, my brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue or anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. That doesn't mean you can't look at or be aware of something that's not one of those, but these are the kinds of things that our minds should be dwelling on. Why? Because the more you think about something, the bigger it becomes. And what's going to become important to us as you begin the process, we're going to learn, you will have mistakes, you will slip. And if you dwell on those slippages and those mistakes, they become bigger in your mind and your confidence begins to wane and it begins to fade. Okay. I'm going to cover the last two quickly and then we'll go on to something else next principle and this is so important this is part of what you need to renew your mind your mind cannot think more than one thought at a time now it can think them pretty quickly but it can't think more than one thought at a time let me give you an example of that if you promise not to go to sleep I'll have you close your eyes All right, close your eyes so you're not looking at anybody and when I say, I'm going to have you, I'm going to, when I say go, I'm going to have you count in your mind quietly, backwards from a hundred, and I won't let you go too far, so I don't want to embarrass you, okay? And then when I clap my hands like that, I want you to say your name out loud, got that? So when I say go, with your eyes closed, you're going to, you, you, silently, not out loud, you're going to go. One hundred ninety nine, ninety eight, 98, like that, okay? And when I clap my hands, you're going to each say your own name out loud. All right, everybody got that? Ready, go. Did you all get your name right? Okay. What happened to your counting? Ah. Because your mind couldn't think of the numbers and your name at the same time. So one of the ways to get a runaway mind out of control is out of control is to begin purposely getting it to think thoughts that you want. And you can do that. Okay. Last point, last key is that what we're going to have to learn to do is to get anything out of your life that doesn't reinforce that reinforces the old images. Now I mean, there's some things you may not be able to get out of your life, but you've got to be careful. It may be friends. It, it may be, it may, the Bible talks about being very discerning about your friends, and sometimes you may have to make different friends if you really want to change. It may be friends. It may be, I don't know what it is. It may be a particular television program that you like, maybe f- fine for anybody else, but somehow that's reinforcing an old image that you don't want. You'll have to decide what that is. You've got to be the judge of that. And the last thing is what we'll learn to do is focus our efforts. Focus our efforts. All right, we're going to end here tonight and then what we're going to start with the next time is we're going to get into this process and begin to finally learn how to do it.